Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A 16-year-old girl has everything going for her. Allie was always pretty fun-loving, energetic, and very creative. Until one day after school, she vanishes while heading to her job. This case begins and ends right there where she got off the bus. Allie had never walked to work before. Baffling leads steer the investigation in conflicting directions. If Jay was the last person that she had talked to, he would be the last person to see her. Brandon had burned a white truck just north of Spring. Human trafficking really does exist. Young girls are recruited through that underworld. Until a strange turn of events forces her parents into a perilous rescue mission for their daughter. You couldn't see anything. All you heard was gunfire. Spring, Texas, Monday, April 26, 2010. It's 7 a.m. in a suburb northwest of Houston when Joanne Lowitzer wakes her daughter Alexandria. Allie, as the 16-year-old prefers to be called, is starting another week of her sophomore year. I would always go in there and I would jiggle her, you know, I was like, Allie, it's time to get up. Let's go. Allie never liked to wake up. She liked to sleep until the very last minutes. Not wanting to be late for class at Spring High School, Allie rushes to get dressed in her signature style. Allie made quite a transition in her teenage years. Um, you know, there was a time where she kind of went through a real girly stage, and then she kind of found like a more rebellious stage almost. Black makeup, black clothes. Once she knew how to put that eyeliner on, it was there to stay. <laughs> the Lowitzer family has always been close-knit, but not without certain struggles. Allie's parents, John and Joanne, have been separated for almost two years. Family has always been really important to me and always made it a priority, though, even though John didn't live with us anymore, that him and the kids stayed very connected with each other. Joanne's 18-year-old son, Mason, is from a previous relationship. Though she and John have raised him since he was a toddler, their parents say that Mason and Allie love each other, even though they have their moments. I call it typical teenage sibling rivalry. 
love-hate relationship. It was off and on, some bickering and petty, stupid, did you take this? No, I didn't take that, you know, type of thing. Both John and Joanne work for shipping logistics companies in Houston and take their jobs as parents seriously. They are overjoyed to watch Allie turn into a well-rounded young woman. Allie was always pretty fun-loving. She was always uh, energetic. She played softball in her early teen years. You know, she did like uh, reading and books and stuff like that, and she really liked her art in high school. It was becoming a, a passion for her. Art was her favorite subject, of course. So I knew that she had dreams of furthering her art by going to college after high school to do something, you know, with her art skills. She could share her feelings and her thoughts through, through something that she drew, and I always found that really awesome. Allie was very creative. She uh, had a very good voice. She did uh, the Star Spangled Banner for a small rodeo, I think it was, in the area here. She got up there and she, she belted out, you know, the national anthem. No music or anything. I was very proud of her that day. Allie's also very social. She has a large group of friends who she often chats with over text message. Allie was always on her phone. She was nonstop texting. And Allie even has a budding romance with a 16-year-old boy from her school. His name was DJ. He was at the house the day before. That was on a Sunday. Him and Allie had been skateboarding out front. He seemed like a very sweet kid. On that Monday morning in April, all signs were pointing to a bright future for Allie Lowitzer. At 7.30 a.m., she leaves the family home on Low Ridge Road and heads to school. She would always say, bye, Mom, and I would hear the door shut. And that was every weekday morning. The bus, when it would come towards our end of the neighborhood, Allie would get on right there and she'd get off right there. Around 2.30 p.m., after an uneventful day at school, Allie rides the bus home. She calls her mother, Joanne, at work to let her know that she forgot her house keys. So Joanne calls her son, Mason, before he heads out to meet a friend. So I reminded Mason, I said, just when you leave, leave the door unlocked. Allie's older brother graduated high school a year earlier, but still lives at home. Allie tells her mom that she'd like to stop at work at the burger barn before coming home. Allie has had the food service job for the past five weeks to earn her own spending money. It's the 16-year-old's very first job. Typically, whenever Allie needs a ride to or from work, family is on hand to help. Allie was going to come home from school, get off the bus, and then walk up there to see if she can get her paycheck. Allie tells her mom that besides collecting her money, she wants to see if she can pick up a shift that afternoon. But Joanne vetoes her daughter's plan. Allie had never walked to work before. Me telling her no, that she couldn't walk to work, was me being mom. The Burger Barn is only a 10-minute walk from the bus stop, but it runs along Treeshwig Road, which doesn't have a sidewalk. Joanne tells Allie to just go home, but she won't take no for an answer. Allie knowing how to push my right buttons and beg, I finally gave in and I told her, okay. I said, text me and let me know if you're gonna stay at work or just, you know, you've got your check and you're coming home. 
At 5.30 that evening, Joanne returns from work. I guess I wasn't too surprised that she wasn't here. I was kind of ticked off a little bit that she hadn't texted me already uh, to tell me what she was doing. I did send her a text and I said, well, I guess, you know, you, you're working, you know, uh, let me know when I need to come and pick you up. But Allie doesn't respond to the text. The reason in my head, you know, for, for not going into full panic mode was that they just let her work and she was probably wasn't allowed to be on her phone. It was a little bit before nine o'clock. I decided, I said, screw it. I'm just gonna drive up there. As Joanne pulls up to the burger barn, the hair raises on the back of her neck. All the lights were out, the chairs were up on the tables and there was nobody there. And then that's, that's when my gut instinct told me something was wrong. At this point, she hasn't heard from her daughter for more than six hours and has no idea where she could be. I got a call that night from Joanne in a panic and obviously upset because she hadn't heard from Allie. So I was like telling her it's okay, maybe she's got to ride home or something, just trying to rationalize why Allie wouldn't be there. And he's trying to calm me down. He's like, well, you know, Allie's probably with a friend. You know, maybe uh, the battery on her phone had died. Call some of her friends and see if they'd heard from her. But none of Allie's girlfriends have recently spoken to her. Trying not to become hysterical, Joanne drives to Allie's boyfriend's house. And he had also told me that he had been calling and texting Allie and couldn't get any response from her as well. We were trying to figure out where Allie could be um, or, you know, how to get hold of her. Joanne drives all around the neighborhood. But Allie is nowhere to be seen. She gets back to her house around 11 p.m. Her daughter's not there either. So Joanne is forced to place the most terrifying phone call of her life. Joanne called the police that night and asked them to come over to report her missing to see if they could help out. Just before midnight, a patrol deputy from Precinct 4 of the Harris County Constable's office arrives at Joanne's. By this time, Allie's dad has also shown up to help. She just had a little piece of paper that she wrote our names down with our phone numbers. The Loitzers described their daughter and the circumstances of her disappearance. The deputy asks permission to have a look in Allie's bedroom. She was asking questions about Allie, and she's like, well, are you, are you sure y'all didn't have a fight? And she took off. She just kind of took a quick little report and said, she'll be fine, she'll be back soon. Call us in the morning when, when she comes home. And I asked her, well, what do we do if she doesn't come home? And she said, well, just call us tomorrow. Joanne and John rack their brains, trying to think of where Allie could be. And I was like, look, you know, maybe she's just being a rebellious teenager. Maybe she is out somewhere and she'll be back in the morning and then we'll address it at that time. Mason got a couple of friends and they drove around the neighborhood. We were fully expecting her to walk through the door. I don't remember how late John stayed over, but he eventually left and went home to try to get some sleep. I waited up all night. The next morning, around 5 o'clock, Joanne called me and said she's still not home. It was devastating. When you think of a parent's worst nightmare, 
I would say it was at that moment. It's been 18 hours since 16-year-old Allie Lowitzer went missing after getting dropped off on her street by the school bus. At 9 a.m., her parents, Joanne and John, call police a second time, adamant that their daughter is a missing person. They spent a lot of time trying to convince us that Allie was a runaway, and we spent just as much time trying to convince them that she wasn't, because we know our daughter. If she was going to leave this house of her own free will, then I would definitely notice things missing. I mean, especially her makeup, her cell phone charger, her money, of all things. If you were going to leave intentionally, you would make sure that you had money. But in spite of the Lowitzer's concerns, police don't open a missing person case. So John and Joanne decide to do some investigating of their own. If Allie did run away, it's possible she wasn't telling the truth about where she was heading after school. So John tracks down the school bus company. Fortunately, they had cameras on the bus and they showed me footage from the time that she walked out of the school to the time that she got on the bus all the way through the whole route to the bus stop where she got off. So I was able to validate that she was on the bus the whole time, timestamps and everything. On the video, John sees that two other boys exit at the same time as Allie. The Lowitzers recognize one of them as a neighbor and get his account of what happened next. Allie did get off the bus with them, but instead of her walking down the street with them, she turned around to walk out of the neighborhood. Which would put her on the path to the burger barn. The boy's account indicates that Allie told her mother the truth. She was going to work. That same afternoon, her father goes to the burger barn to talk to the owner. If you think about it, if she was going to the burger barn to work that night and maybe she got there and maybe something happened. But the owner delivers troubling news. He never saw Allie the day before. She didn't come to the restaurant and she didn't pick up her paycheck. As John leaves, he notices a business just across the street from the burger barn. I had a thought of, well, let me go to the corner gas station to see if they have any video surveillance, external cameras that might show her walking to the burger barn. That would prove that she actually went that route. If you're looking from the camera point of view, you could view the entire four-way red light. And she never passed in front of uh, the camera. The video appears to confirm the restaurant owner's account. Allie never made it there. By now, more than 24 hours have passed since anyone has seen or heard from Allie Lowitzer. Her parents have left numerous voicemails and texts, but they've all gone unanswered. Then, her mother Joanne remembers something crucial. AT&T had what was called a family map plan, like a GPS tracking, where you can look on a map and it'll tell you exactly, you know, where you are on the map. And the last place it showed Allie was right here, just on the outskirts of the neighborhood. It's almost as if right after she exited the school bus, Allie vanished off the face of the earth. On Monday, May 3rd, 
She's been missing for a week when John and Joanne give deputies from the local constable's office all the information they've gathered, including the security footage from the school bus and the gas station. Although police still classify Allie as a runaway, they head back to the Lowitzer home for another look around. And law enforcement looked through her room, see if they could pick up on any clues or anything like that. They did find some journals that she had uh, written in. Detectives page through Allie's journals and come across an entry where she alludes to plans to run away. But Allie's parents believe her writing didn't always reflect her true feelings. I think what they found in the journals, they kind of started to uh, rest their hat on and say, well, she wrote right here that she was going to do this. But you have to understand where Allie was. You have to understand who she was and the stories that she would fabricate, that she would make up in those journals. She had no history of being a runaway. A runaway is someone who, in my opinion and from my experience, separates themselves fairly well from home. And the intent is to be gone more than just a few hours. For a 16-year-old girl to leave her whole life behind, all of her clothes, all of her money, cell phone, stuffed animals, anything that was near and dear to her, her journals even. For a girl to leave all of that behind, that's not right. Police change Allie's status from runaway to endangered runaway. Every kid that is runaway or missing is endangered. Police have since explained the classification of endangered runaway indicates a missing child who leaves without warning and that dangerous issues could be at play, such as mental illness or suicide. The thought of Allie hurting herself has never entered my mind. I don't think that she would be capable of doing that. She was too kind-hearted. More days pass, with no leads coming into the Lowitzers. Every night, her mother Joanne sends a text to her daughter's phone, and every night, she gets no reply. In the days that follow, the Lowitzers enlist the help of the Laura Recovery Center, an organization that tries to find missing and abducted children. For me, it was a lifesaver because they seemed to really care that Allie was missing. We started becoming a little more organized, made an official flyer for Allie, and I'd printed off hundreds of pages. The family offers a reward of $25,000 to anyone with pertinent information. And I started running around town like a, like a madman, slapping pictures on anything I could. I was in awe of, of what my community did for Allie. By the third week of Allie's disappearance, the ground searches conducted by Laura Recovery Center have gotten the media's attention. And by late May, Allie's case is transferred to the Harris County Sheriff's Office. Within hours, we had homicide guys knocking on our door, trying to figure out how they can help us out, and basically starting the investigation. Once the homicide department had the case, it was kind of like doing everything all over again. We need to fill them in on what they need to know so that they can find Allie. Except now, the investigation takes a direction that the Lowitzers hadn't expected. Homicide detectives begin their probe where they always do, close to home. I guess typical process of elimination, they're gonna start from inside out and interview the family. 
They called me down to the station and interrogated me for hours. The questions, John didn't even want to tell me some of the questions because he knew it would upset me. What do you know? Who do you know? Where were you? Everything about it, you know. They actually asked me, do you believe that Allie's dead? How, as a father of the missing child, do you answer something like that? For the past three weeks, John and Joanne Lowitzer have struggled to get police to investigate the case of their missing daughter, Allie. Now, they have the full attention of Harris County homicide detectives. But the Lowitzers learn that the increased scrutiny comes at a cost. I could only imagine what John went through during the interrogation. And, you know, he's, he's one of the strongest people that I know. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. John tells police that since he and Joanne separated two years earlier, his daughter has been very angry with him. Allie and I were kind of out of differences because um, Joanne and I had split up, and I believe Allie took it pretty hard. And just as she was getting better is when all this happened. Detectives also take a long and serious look at Allie's older brother, Mason. 
and they had taken Mason for several hours to interrogate him. Investigators asked Mason to explain where he was when Allie went missing. So, yeah, at that time of day, Mason was home, and he said that she never showed up, or he had heard the bus coming. And shortly after that, he left, left the house. So he never saw her. Well, seeing both of them, it broke my heart because I know that it, it broke them. Detectives ask both father and son to take polygraph exams. John Lowitzer, he was found not to be deceptive to the questions he was asked. And Mason was found not to be deceptive to the questions he was asked. After the interviews are completed, detectives say that John is cleared of any involvement in his daughter's disappearance. But even though Mason also passed the polygraph, police say they don't officially clear him from suspicion. Clearing is saying that there's absolutely no way this person can be involved. And sometimes you can't ever get there. I know it's very hard for Mason you know, at the time, he was 18 years old. Authorities say that Mason refuses to talk to the police or reporters about his sister and maintains that he had nothing to do with Allie's disappearance. Then, as detectives scour the family's cell phone records, an unexpected clue surfaces. Allie's mother, Joanne, was not the last person to communicate with her that day. At approximately 2.50 p.m., just minutes before she got off the school bus, Ali texted a friend, an older boy from Spring High School named Jay. Ali was wanting him to come over after school, to hang out. Jay and Ali had been friends for more than a year because Jay was the last actual phone number on Ali's records. You know, we had a lot of questions. If Jay was the last person that she had talked to, it would seem that he would be the last person to see her. Detectives immediately tracked Jay down at his home. The guys that, that spoke to him had some experience. Jay explains that he never met up with Allie after she texted him. He said no, he had other plans. And their opinion was that he was easily marked off. And alibi-wise, he did have one. Weeks turn to months. The ground searches stop. The news stories slow down and Ali's investigation goes cold. The Lowitzers still have a private investigator working the case, who they had hired in the first few weeks when police weren't actively looking for Ali. If I were a parent, uh, even working with good police that knew what they were doing and seemed to care, I would probably still use my own resources to try to augment that because I would not be able to, to let a day go by not knowing what happened or where my child was. Two years after Allie's disappearance, the private investigator takes note of a recent and highly publicized brutal crime 250 miles away that he thinks could have direct ties to Allie's disappearance. On August 17, 2012, a man named Brandon Laverne pleads guilty to killing 20-year-old college student Mickey Shunick in Lafayette, Louisiana. When the Mickey Shunick case really kind of broke loose and got a lot of uh, media attention. She went to the local uh, college in Lafayette. 
Um, so she rode her bike everywhere. He had sideswiped her and made her fall off of her bike, and he had stopped to offer her help. She ended up getting in his truck, putting the bike in the back of the truck. Shunik's killer, Brandon Laverne, drove a white pickup truck the night of the murder. The Loitzer's PI recalls reading about a similar vehicle in Allie's case file. The private investigator was going through all of his notes and said, well, there's a white truck that somebody gave a lead or a tip on for Allie's case. Somebody at the beginning when Allie was missing said that they saw a girl talking to someone in a white truck. According to an eyewitness, the encounter occurred on the road to the burger barn. The PI discovers another remarkable fact. The killer has ties to the spring community. Brandon Laverne, he had family here in the area, not too far from where Alexandria Lowitzer lived. And there's a third ominous connection between the two cases. Police realize that after his crime, Laverne dumped his truck just 50 miles from Allie's hometown. He had burned a white truck just north of Spring. By the summer of 2012, Allie Lowitzer has been missing for two years, and her parents, John and Joanne, have hired a private investigator to assist in their search. Now the PI is looking at a chilling new lead. The convicted killer of another young woman could have been in the area when Allie went missing. Brandon Laverne had started being looked at as maybe having something to do with Allie. We needed to look at it, you know, because we can't leave any stone unturned. Police questioned Brandon Laverne in state prison, but he denies any connection to Allie Lowitzer. And although he did frequent the Spring, Texas area where Allie lived, he's able to prove that when she went missing in April of 2010, he was out of state in Louisiana. I contacted his employer and through the subpoena process, found out he was out offshore working on diesel engines. And he didn't have his own little boat to go to shore and run to Spring, Texas. There was a little bit of a disappointment on my end and, and a little bit of relief at the same time after we learned that he didn't have anything to do with it. In the fall of 2012, the Lowitzers hire a second private investigator named Amber Kamek, who takes Allie's case in an entirely new and disturbing direction. Amber was the only one that was really looking for an alive Allie. And she was basically the first one to come up with maybe Allie was kidnapped and is being trafficked. Well, human trafficking really does exist. I mean, there's no joke about that. Being a border state, there's a lot of movement that way. The I-10 interstate, two international airports, and a massive port all converge in the Houston area, making it one of the largest hubs for human trafficking in the nation. Traffickers typically groom their victims first. Young girls usually are recruited through their contacts with that underworld group in some way or another. Once traffickers have lured them in, they kidnap and force them into the sex trade, where teenage girls have the highest value. For Allie's phone to just shut off at 2.54 in the afternoon, 10 minutes after she got off the bus, tells me that whoever did it knew exactly what they were doing. 
If Ali was kidnapped by traffickers, it means she could now be anywhere. In October 2012, Joanne receives a call from a woman who had seen Ali's missing person website, which leads the search over a thousand miles north to Columbus, Ohio. It was a lady from Ohio saying that she thought that she had seen Allie at a church function for homeless people. She kind of described Allie and how quiet she was, and she just felt like something was wrong with this girl, like she was being forced to be quiet and not look anybody in the eyes. Private investigator Amber Kamick contacts local law enforcement in Columbus and discovers that both drug and sex trafficking run rampant in the Columbus area. Kamek takes the next flight to Ohio. Within days, she develops a working relationship with the Columbus Police Department. She even starts going undercover for them and gains access to several crack houses and brothels. And so I pretty much started living on double life, gaining the trust of everybody on the streets so we could find the underage girls. My goal and my motive was just to find Allie. Over a period of four weeks, Kamek poses as a street person who's looking to sell sex or buy drugs. Once she senses she's been accepted, she starts asking questions about Allie. There was an undercover cop that pretended to be a pedophile. I'm standing there, I go, hey, do you know this girl? The officer doesn't yet know Amber is also working undercover. And he goes, oh yeah, that's Allie Cat. No one knew that Allie's nickname actually was Allie Cat. He goes, I knew she was from Texas, but I didn't know she was missing. Kamek says finding Allie Cat could be a promising lead, but she knows she'll need more to bring back to John and Joanne. In late November 2012, Columbus police steer Kamek to a prostitute named Amy, who works with detectives as an informant. Kamek shows Amy a photo of Allie Lowitzer. Do you know this girl? They're like, yeah, that's Allie. She was able to give some, you know, personal details. Amy recalls a scar on Allie's forehead and also refers to her as Alley Cat. In exchange for money, Kamek asks Amy to take her to Allie so she can see for herself. I went with Amy inside these houses. Now, the police were all supplying us with prescription drugs to give the drug dealers, basically, to make a deal so we can get into these houses. As Amber walks through the drug den, she looks around at the different women and sees a young girl who looks just like the photos she's seen of Allie. It's like my eyes immediately went to her. I knew that it was the girl that we had been chasing, but I had no way to access her. Convinced that she's seen the Lowitzer's daughter, Amber heads back to Texas and brings John and Joanne up to speed on her investigation. When Joanne heard Alley Cat, she goes, oh my God, that's her nickname. John is intrigued by Amy's description of the scar on Alley Cat's forehead. Allie had a chickenpox scar located between her eyes. That December, hoping that they will soon be reunited with their long-lost daughter, John and Joanne fly with Kamek to Columbus, Ohio. I went on the premise that maybe it is true. You know, we have to leave no stone unturned, so it wasn't going to hurt anything. And if it became a recovery mission, then it would be a win. 
In Columbus, Kamek introduces John and Joanne to Amy. Together, they devise a strategy to rescue Allie from the brothel. The game plan at that time was to try to buy her back. But they will need help. Kamek brings her findings back to the detectives she's been working with over the past few months. It's enough to get a warrant and backup from police. The Lowitzers return to Texas while Amber stays and prepares for her mission. By January 2013, the operation to recover Allie is ready to go. With the SWAT team waiting in the wings around the corner, Amber re-enters the crack house, wearing a wire, posing as a madam. It's pretty dang traumatizing. You know, going through there, because I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? I was afraid for Amber's life because I knew that she could be killed if they found out why she was there. Joanne and John are waiting back at home in Texas, praying for the safe return of their cherished daughter. I didn't know how to feel. It could be a mistake or it could be true. And so we had no other choice but to try to prove it. Through Amber's wire, Columbus police hear confirmation that a deal is being made and they raid the house. Basically, they told me when you hear knockers, you hit the floor and you don't look back up. So you couldn't see anything. All you heard was gunfire. SWAT makes several arrests for promoting prostitution while seizing illegal drugs and weapons. The raid succeeds in rescuing eight women who had been trafficked and forced into the sex trade. But Ali Lowitzer is not among them. I already knew she wasn't there because we had gone through all the houses. I didn't see her. Kamek still thinks she saw Ali in this same house the month before, but that her captors may have been tipped off before authorities arrived on the scene. These human traffickers, they get wind of the police before the police even hit the neighborhood and go driving in they had switched up all the girls in the houses. John and Joanne say they had let themselves believe that Allie might be coming home, so the news from Amber is a crushing blow. Getting the phone call saying that Allie wasn't in that house, it, it was devastating. I had really let my hopes get high and being let down. You know, I told myself I was never going to get that high again. Joanne loves her daughter just like I love mine. You become so close with them that it's almost like finding your own family. And it was like losing her again. Five more years pass with no new leads in Allie's disappearance. The Lowitzers endure more family birthdays and holidays without her. Her brother Mason has moved to Seattle. Allie's friends from high school are all grown up now. I'll see my friends who are getting married and they have bridesmaids' pictures and I think that could have been Allie or that could be us right now. Joanne refuses to disrupt Allie's room. It remains exactly as it was when she left for school that Monday morning. Every nook and cranny in here, it definitely screams Allie and who she is as a person and her passion and her creativity is all around you and you just know who she is as a person and who she wanted to be one day. As the years have gone by, I just can't, I can't touch it, I can't change it. For me, that would be part of admitting that maybe she might not come home one day. 
private investigator Amber Kamick is still convinced Allie has been trafficked and was, at least at some point, in Columbus, Ohio. But Detective Chris Cook runs Allie's fingerprints through numerous criminal databases, and he says the lack of any positive result makes him question Kamick's theory. We sent it out fairly well, Interpol, everything, and to see if maybe, you know, she'd been arrested for a forged check or anything. Again, if, if she's trafficked within the United States, I would think that eventually things leak, people get out, people make mistakes, shoplift, who knows what, and there was nothing. According to Detective Cook, his investigation is currently at a standstill, waiting for a solid lead to materialize. This case begins and ends right there where she got off the bus. We would love for something viable to run on, but recently I haven't gotten anything viable. More than anything, Joanne and John Lowitzer yearn for answers. They say they refuse to believe that their 16-year-old daughter just disappeared without anybody seeing what happened to her. So much time has passed. It's been almost eight years. It still hurts. It's hard to imagine that the pictures from the bus of when she was getting on and off the bus are the last ones that I have of her. And it kills me as her father that the day that that happened that I wasn't there to protect her. The Lowitzers say they're certain that someone somewhere knows what happened to Allie and where she is, and they will do anything to find those answers. Finding my daughter would change my entire life. You want to protect your children, you know? At the same time, you have to give them the freedom to grow. But when you allow them these freedoms, it allows in the evil. If there's any one regret in my life, it's that. Give me that one little, one little inch. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. You know, I would have my daughter. If you have any information about Allie Lowitzer or her disappearance, please contact the Harris County Sheriff's Office at 713-274-9100. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.